Hello there, and welcome back to the Pacific Wayfinder for part two of our discussion around transnational crime issues in the Pacific. I'm Ben Bohane, and joining me on this discussion is Jose Sousa Santos, a Pacific Policy Fellow at the Australia Pacific Security College, and Tavita Tupo, who has a background working in customs, immigration and border security in Fiji. He's currently working at the University of the South Pacific in Suva. In part one, we focused on how the Pacific is increasingly targeted by international cartels to both smuggle and now produce drugs locally. There are concerns that domestic markets are being created, and this is seriously impacting society and the health sector across the islands. Here's a reminder from Jose at the start of our conversation in part one about why we need to be investigating transnational crime. Transnational crime is one of the most serious security issues facing the Pacific Islands region. For that reason, it was identified as one of the four key challenges in the Pacific Islands Forum 2018 Boy Declaration on Regional Security. Over the past two decades, the Pacific has seen a significant increase in the trafficking of methamphetamines, cocaine and precursors. Increased connectivity within and across the Pacific has enhanced economic opportunities, but also exacerbated the Pacific's vulnerabilities. Methamphetamine, heroin, cocaine trafficking is on the rise. And the Pacific Islands have become a production site and trafficking destination, as well as trafficking thoroughfare. This is critically important because transnational crime is a cross-cutting threat to development, security and governance in the Pacific. Illicit drugs increase in security, impaired development progress and exacerbate vulnerability in the Pacific Islands region. It is therefore both a traditional security and a human security issue. In part two of this episode, we pick up the conversation to highlight other issues around transnational crime in the Pacific beyond drugs. Okay, we've, we've spoken quite a bit about uh, the drug trafficking issue. I wanted to just briefly touch on a couple of other issues around transnational crime. Um, people smuggling and wildlife smuggling, where do they rate in, in terms of the hierarchy of, of concern for you guys? Yeah, thank you. Maybe I'll start with human trafficking. Um, you mentioned people smuggling. I think uh, in one of the previous reports, PIDC, um, I prefer to work uh, people smuggling, you know, cross-border movement. Uh, what we've seen, uh, you know, it's not so much people smuggling, but it's more human trafficking because it's uh, coming through legally through the border and then they're trafficked domestically and then they're moved out. Eh? So uh, one, and we've seen that increase. Uh, so, you know, again, the definition of what smuggling in and what trafficking is, I wouldn't want to go into that, but the key point here is human trafficking is, is something, it, it's on the rise. Um, and, you know, using the Pacific is, is, a, is a source country. It's a destination country. So that, that, that's us. The Pacific does that. When it comes to in the context of human traffic, yeah, we, we, we are that right now. But, you know, let, let's look at it in, in this way. Um, COVID disruption. The, in Fiji right now, we've got 150,000 people without work. That's huge labor market. You know, that's, that's a labor force that uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, trafficking uh, opportunity for them to uh, be exploited, and then you know, I spoke earlier about uh, 
um, the informal settlement that we have 20% of our population are in the informal settlement already vulnerable. This is this is the challenge that we have. You know, uh, if you look at the the, the schemes that Australia and New Zealand are providing for the Pacific to the grower scheme that we go across, you know, the, the level of unemployment that we have right now uh, in itself. Uh, and then you've seen, you've heard us talk about this, the human trafficking and drugs are a crime of greed. But this has turned into a crime of need where people are struggling to put food on the table. They will do anything. They will do anything uh, to, to put food on the table. And this is, this is the case in Fiji right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a balancing act for law enforcement. Uh, we, that's why we have curfew, uh, and, and it's curbing this problem uh, together, combating COVID at the same time. And this is this is a struggle that we have. And I'm using Fiji's context right now. Uh, you know, we're seeing things uh, increasing, but at the same time, we're balancing it against uh, the battle of COVID. And I think I'll leave it at that for, for now. Jose, anything you wanted to add around um, human trafficking? I'd like to just also get a sense of of who those people are? Do they, are they Pacific Islanders who are being moved illegally? Are these uh, sex workers from Asia, from you know, or potentially uh, terrorists? I mean, what what kind of people are we talking about in our region who are being trafficked? This is the, the there are several different aspects to human trafficking. Uh, you have internal human trafficking, um, and especially at the moment with communities and families under economic duress. Uh, for example, in the in the villages, you might have um, uh, you know, uh, families which which might send uh, their daughters, um, you know, women to uh, the city uh, under false pretenses from fixers who will promise them work, and then once they're in, they're, you know, they're in the cities, they're then um, almost indentured um, to work for these criminal entities, and normally pushed towards the sex trade. Um, under threat of violence, uh, and then you know become addicted to drugs, and you sort of lose them out of the loop. Um, this is due to the cultural practice of sending money back to the village. If you have one person in the in, in the city and they're earning a salary, that one person will normally uh, support not just their their nuclear family, but also the extended family. So there's the internal the internal uh, aspect of it. Then you have the risk because you have so many Pacific Island states. Uh, which are uh, as well under economic duress at the moment because of the uh, the COVID uh, shutdown, which have come under the uh, which have come under the spotlight of transnational criminal syndicates, and they themselves will be looking at seeing the opportunities of can they uh, profit from trafficking uh, Pacific Island um, women uh, or children uh, for pedophile rings uh, out of the Pacific to third uh, to third countries. Uh, where they can then uh, further profit from uh, from these uh, uh, from these innocent uh, or from these victims, uh, and then of course there is the the third, which is the movement from Asia uh, towards uh, the Pacific of sex workers, um, and the, the traffic to, you know, to uh, Fiji, to PNG, uh, to Tonga, and they're uh, normally brought in to um, to service the um, so, for example, the Chinese commercial elite inside those countries uh, and other commercial elites, uh, and, the, and this is all part of um, the, uh, the the trafficking landscape, uh, the human trafficking landscape in the region, which needs to be unravelled and further understood. Uh, and as as the the region starts to um, uh, 
uh, to come out of, uh, of the, the COVID economic uh, situation. Uh, this is something that uh, we have to expect uh, and uh, be ready and agile to counter. Uh, but the, the issue of uh, human trafficking is something that uh, uh, Tavitra has been looking at for a while, and I think he would be the, in the best position to, uh, to speak about this. I think maybe, you know, the, the other part that, that, that adds to this is this, you know, the culture in the Pacific, eh? uh, you know, for women and children, the normalization of exploitation of women and children. That just that just adds to uh, why the Pacific has become lucrative uh, for them to be able to, to exploit. And uh, now with COVID, you know, the level of sexual exploitation that continues to happen and the culture of silence in the Pacific that... Uh, this is this is this has been exploited to the max uh, during this time, uh, and that's why I said uh, you know using Fiji's context right now uh, with 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 COVID balancing all of that together, uh, government is just imposed curfew, uh, you know just restrict the movement, you know, have, you know it, it it addresses a, a number of issues. So you know this is something that you know we're it, it is a battlefront that uh, is multifaceted, uh, and then you know we're hoping that um, you know this is something that we'll be able to maybe share it, but also address it while we're while we battling COVID. Okay. And just to touch on the, the final element that, that we mentioned briefly, and that, that's around wildlife smuggling. You know, the Pacific has a lot of unique species. Do you come across any evidence of a trade in, in illicit wildlife out of the Pacific? Or do you see the Pacific as a bit of a transshipment region for, for species in Asia? being smuggled to Australia, New Zealand, or the Americas? Or where, where do you see wildlife smuggling as, a, as an issue in the region? I think, you know, wildlife smuggling would sit in the same um, basket as, you know, resources uh, smuggling. Uh, but this is, it's something that's, I think, may, uh, often overlooked. Um, but it, it's definitely a, a, a risk to the region, but it's, it's, it's uh, not in the radar to the same level as, you know, when we're looking at human trafficking or uh, but it's it's a very well established um, uh, crime in the region I mean we, you know we're talking about um, illegal logging uh, in the Solomon Islands um, you know the um, the har- the illegal harvesting of uh, Beche de mer uh, and, uh, uh, and and other such things Tavida, are you coming across any particular species being smuggled or how, how do you see it as an issue uh, you know in my experience a lot of the ones that went out was either through the yachts, uh, so, you know, it's iguana, uh, each other from Vanuatu here in Fiji. Uh, but, you know, uh, around the Pacific, I've always seen that it was uh, the yacht that was used uh, to move uh, a lot of these uh, endangered species out there. Very interesting. Anything else either of you would like to add? Otherwise, uh, we might wrap this up. I think, uh, yeah, there's one more one more point. Um, so, Savitra and I were, uh, were having a conversation uh, about one of the issues which is not uh, often talked about, and that's how uh, transnational criminal syndicates uh, sometimes piggyback uh, on legitimate commercial interests uh, or entities, uh, for example, from China, uh, uh, Southeast Asia, into Pacific Island states. Uh, and once they're able to enter uh, and become established uh, in Pacific Island countries, they are the impact that they can have uh, on on society, uh, being a hybrid of a legitimate entity and being backed and controlled by a criminal uh, entity, 
has gives them a um, an agility um, and a difficulty for law enforcement to actually target them. Uh, the the their MO have been able to to target to attempt to uh, to corrupt commercial elites, uh, members of, of government agencies, for example, uh, makes this a a serious uh, security uh, regional um, uh, issue, uh, which is often not looked at. Uh, and also, we must uh, not forget that many times uh, these transnational criminal syndicates, uh, which uh, coming into the Pacific, um, the, the the countries of origin are aware that uh, these uh, entities, be it individuals or be it the um, uh, the syndicates themselves, are moving into or are already operating in Pacific Island countries. But that information is not being passed on to the Pacific Island countries, be it the government to the government level or law enforcement. And that's something that needs to be looked at. You know, uh, these, is this because of uh, uh, an, you know, an overload in, in, uh, in capacity, uh, sorry, an overload in, in cases uh, back in the, in, the, in, the, in the countries of origin? Uh, or are we looking at, um, uh, for example, uh, are these uh, criminal entities state condoned illicit disruptors? Um, you know, does this fall into uh, the, you know, the geopolitics in the Pacific? And that's something that needs to be looked at. I think that's an excellent introduction to what might be the next podcast around transnational crime I'd love to do, which is looking at the geopolitics of, of transnational crime, which you've just touched on. Uh, it'd be great to have a conversation down the line around and and to speak openly. You know, what do we see around the Japanese yakuza? What do we see around Chinese, you know, triads? What do we see around the Russian mafia, Australian bikey gangs? You know, these are and they are politicized. And as you say, there's a what we often see is the way criminal groups make their illicit funds but then transition to become legitimate businesses and legitimate people and then leverage political influence. Um, so they kind of cover their tracks, if you like, and, and try and present themselves then as legitimate businesses and often fly under the radar. Uh, so that's a really interesting, broader area to, to come to, and we might look at that for another podcast. Tavita, was there anything you wanted to just um, add before we sign off? Yeah, and maybe just uh, spared a little bit what Jose said. I like to call them the professional enablers. Eh? Um, you know, this is usually um, <clears throat> the accountants, the lawyers, the um, those that work within the value chain of, of trade. Uh, you know, the whole supply chain element. You know, one of the things with, with you talk to criminals. You know, they they know the system always wins. Yeah, but one of the art that they have mastered over the years is this a if we can't beat them, we will corrupt the system. And they have mastered that very well. Unfortunately, unfortunately, law enforcement, you know, because because we've always focused at the tail end, which is investigation, uh, you know, when you work, uh, work at crime now, which is very multifaceted, which very complex, and if you talk about financial crime, uh, you, you're, you're talking about um, real estate, you're talking about taxation issues. These, these are not you know, uh, generic within the purview of criminal investigation, but this is this is where funds are usually uh, criminal funds are usually um, uh, funneled through. 
uh, even 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 government uh, contracts, uh, government contracts, um, or government initiatives, government tax initiatives. That, 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 this is how how they've latched on uh, to shifting funds or, or moving funds around using legitimate business structures. You know, and it, like what you said, it's it, it's an area that we we've done a number of trainings with Jose. I think some years back around this, and uh, I think there there needs to be more focus, but uh, not not um, not a traditional focus. It, it requires a holistic one where you've got uh, uh, those from the the universities, those from uh, specialized areas of fraud, uh, come together and 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 talk about this openly, because um, you know this is what drives them. And Ben, I just wanted to add a critical uh, to add that a critical element is the role the Pacific plays itself. Um, Pacific Island law enforcement officers, security officials, civil society, and government officials all agree that successful responses to transnational crime and drugs need to be Pacific-led and partner-supported. And this call is being echoed around the region. So that's something that needs to be explored, developed, um, and that's critical for any response, be it uh, targeting uh, transnational criminal syndicates in the traditional law enforcement manner, but also to create um, effective disruptive tactics and uh, initiatives. We need to understand uh, and create, and I mean, we are talking about the Pacific with the support of, uh, of Australia and New Zealand, uh, Pacific-led and partner-supported initiatives. On that point, Jose, do you think Pacific police forces are getting enough cooperation and training and intelligence from their Australian and New Zealand counterparts? Is there more that that they could be doing to assist? This is a really critical point, Ben. Australia and New Zealand uh, have a key role to play in supporting Pacific law enforcement, not because the Pacific is a buffer to Australia and New Zealand, but because there is a responsibility to support our Pacific partners in this shared challenge. In the past five years, we have certainly seen a significant uptick in partner engagement on transnational crime in the Pacific, particularly drug traffic and production. There are a number of institutions and agreements now across the region aimed at countering drug trafficking, improving cooperation, training, and intelligence sharing between Australia, New Zealand, and Pacific law enforcement. The Transnational Serious and Organised Crime Pacific Task Force stood up in 2019 between Australia, the Australian Federal Police, New Zealand Police, Tongan, and Fijian Police is one example of this. From the increase in drug busts, there is certainly uh, strong indications of, of successes. But as we know, transnational crime syndicates are better at being adaptive and agile than law enforcement and governments. We see this in the way transnational crime networks will use, a particular, for example, a particular route through the Pacific, and when it becomes too hot, shut it down. Uh, when they are moving a consignment of drugs uh, through a region, uh, and once that, the, the method, method of concealment or the group of facilitators becomes identified, they change the method of concealment or uh, shut down uh, the, the specific group of uh, facilitators. Hence why the reason of having a, a regional criminal syndicate to support them is, is critical for these international criminal syndicates. The ability of international crime, uh, crime syndicates to stay one step ahead is why trust and intelligence sharing between law enforcement and other security agencies in the region is so critical. It's a good point to end on. Uh, Gentlemen, it's been a fascinating conversation. I thank you both very much for joining us. Uh, Jose Suso Santos, 
and also our esteemed colleague from Fiji, Tavita Tupol. Thank you both very much for joining the Pacific Wayfinder. That wraps up another episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. You can find us on our website, pacificsecurity.net, and our Facebook page for the Australia Pacific Security College. Our theme music is the song Tabaran by Not Drowning Waving. And thanks to Liam Taylor for producing this episode. I'm Ben Bohane. Tune in next time to the Pacific Wayfinder.